Hello, my wonderful friends, and welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 49. We are almost to 50. Can you believe it? We are one episode away from number 50. Uh, This is episode 49, and it's part two of our series that we're doing for the month of July called Glenn's Friends, where basically I'm bringing on different people to talk to us about maybe their book or maybe their story or maybe some big issue that's going on in the world or the church or whatever, giving us their thoughts on it and just having a little bit of a, a conversation. So last week we talked to uh, Colby Martin. Colby pastors a church out in San Diego and he wrote a book called Unclobbered. So he came on to talk to us about um, LGBTQ inclusion and uh, also helped us take apart one of the, quote, clobber passages in the Bible that's used to outcast and shame um, LGBTQ people. So we looked at the verses in Leviticus. Um, He took them apart for us a little bit, put them in context, and uh, showed us a much different uh, angle on those verses and gave us some much, I think, needed fresh perspective on them. So go back and listen to that. Uh, But today we have a really I mean, every every guest, every guest is special, but we have a really special, really interesting guest on today. Um, his name is Kent Dobson. So uh, Kent Dobson is um, an ex-pastor. He's a scholar, a thinker, an author. Um, he wrote a book called uh, Bitten by a Camel, and you'll hear more about that in the episode, so I'm not going to share too much about it. Uh, but what you need to know about Kent Dobson uh, is he took over... Mars Hill Church when Rob Bell left. So Rob Bell, um, the guy who wrote the book Love Wins, um, he did all the NUMA videos back in the day. Um, you just Google Rob Bell and you'll see a variety of different thoughts about him. Uh, Google Kent Dobson, you'll see a variety of different thoughts about him as well. But Kent took over uh, Rob Bell's church when he left and he was living that pastor's dream for a while, I guess you could say, you know, pastoring a very successful mega church, and then things started to come apart in his mind and in his heart, and he left. And so I will leave it at that. He will tell us the rest of the story, uh, but it's really, really, um, really, really good episode this week. So hang around and listen to it. Uh, another thing I want to share with you is, if you follow me on Facebook, you might see that there are some T-shirts that are for sale. Uh, I call it the LGBTQ Ally T-shirt. Um, on the front, it says, love, the sinner hate the sin, but the only word that's not scratched out is love, and in the uh, middle of the O are the rainbow colors for the LGBTQ flag. So uh, go check it out. I will put the link in the show notes. The shirt is twenty four ninety nine, dollars and they will be available for the next, uh, about the next week, and then uh, they will be shipped probably towards the end of July. So you should have it the end of July or early August uh, 2499 and the link is in the show notes so go check it out um, this is kind of a test run by the way um, some people have asked for t-shirts uh, I like t-shirts I think they're kind of cool to make and so I figured I'd just make one and kind of see where it goes see if it's popular or not and um, if it is maybe we'll do some more later on uh, so this is kind of a test run I think as of the recording of this we have like eight people um, have bought one, so that's pretty cool. Uh, so go check it out if you want it, get it. If not, that's cool too. So anyway, I'm not going to talk too much today. Last week I talked uh, a significant amount before the episode because we had a lot of things to cover. We talked about Time Out Youth, we talked about Patreon, we talked about 
um, all different sorts of things. So I'm not going to talk about any of that stuff today. Um, I just want to jump right into the episode. Uh, but today's special music, I will mention that because that's important. Uh, today's special music is uh, from my friend Young Citizen. Uh, Young Citizen is a hip-hop artist out of Charlotte, North Carolina. He's doing some amazing, amazing things um, in the community. And uh, I think he's going to do great big things in the world as well. He just released a new album. So this song that you will hear is a, a song off of that album. It's on Apple Music. It's on Spotify. It is all over the place, wherever you listen to cool music. So go and check it out. His links will also be in the show notes. So again, this is episode number 49. And it's my conversation with Kent Dobson. Enjoy. Have enough to make our own land. Name our own picture. We bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much for high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high lows. Feel like James Brown. Love, we going here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got a hands up ready for. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. Uh, today, we are in for a real treat as I am sitting down with Kent Dobson, a scholar. Former pastor, author of one of my most recent favorite books, it's called Bitten by a Camel, and we're going to talk about that today. Uh, but Kent, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you along. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, man, definitely. So, uh, Kent, I first heard about you uh, when you transitioned into lead pastor at Mars Hill, and then I kind of lost track of you for a while. I guess I, I assumed that you were still there or always there, <laughs> uh, but then your name kind of popped up on a book jacket at a local bookstore and I had a camel on the cover. And I thought to myself, like, what the, what the heck is this? And the full title of the book for our listeners is Bitten by a Camel, uh, Leaving Church and Finding God. And I was like, I was like, dude, whatever this book is about, I need to read it because uh, I too have, in a sense, left church and found God in ways that I never thought were possible. But before we get into that, uh, for our listeners who maybe aren't too familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I guess I'll start in the present. Right, right now, I work for a, an organization called C3. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of like a church. That's the best way to describe it. <laughs> um, it's we. The subtitle is uh, West Michigan's Inclusive Spiritual Community. So mm -hmm. it's sort of a community that I didn't create or invent, but sort of formed uh, in the last 10 to 15 years uh, as it was a church and then it kind of morphed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it's a collection of sort of spiritual seekers. Some are Christian, some are not. A few people are atheists, um, some Jewish people. So it's a real collection and multiple ages. Hmm. And um, so I teach there about half the Sundays a year. We meet on a Sunday in a in a community center in Grand Haven, Michigan. Hmm. And um, and then I'm doing retreats and programs, and I have my own podcast, and I'm working on some new book oriented projects. Um, yeah, and so I'm also involved with an organization called Animus Valley Institute in Colorado, and they lead, I'm in their training program, but they lead um, wilderness sort of psycho-spiritual programs, hmm. anything from a 14-day vision fast sort of thing to five-day programs, um, and yeah, so I've been involved with them for a few years now. And it's just uh, one of my passions. That's awesome. 
what kind of stuff do you teach at C3? Like, what does that look like? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, my initial thought is sermons, but I don't know if that's really the, the case there. You know, it is. It is a sermon. The sermon is kind of an art form. Hmm. And, and I suppose it needs a context in the sense that people are sitting around listening. But hmm. I guess it's kind of like a sermon. And I, I try to be honest about the stuff that inspires me. So I have a lot of freedom, meaning I could teach on anything. Sure. But I try to stick with what is currently inspiring me. And I still, you know, talk about the Bible. I did a series on Jesus. And it makes some people uncomfortable because maybe they, I think there are a number of people who have a lot of hangups with mm-hmm. the church. Yep. Um, and that's okay. I just I try to be sensitive to that. But um, currently we're doing a, a full year just on earth. I called it Terra. And so really every week, every month, we're trying to circle back around to the question of how are we related to the broader earth community? Hmm. Um, and yeah, so I approach that from all kinds of ways. I know that's very general, but sure. um, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I'm, I'm doing. That's cool. Do you find that um, a lot of people who um, maybe left the church, so to speak, wind up at C3? Yeah, I think so. Um, and probably a whole lot more would find their way there. But Grand Haven, where it's located, is kind of a small community, mm. as opposed to Grand Rapids, which is 45 minutes away, closer to where I live. And I think they're, it's quite a bit bigger city. But yeah, people wander in who have uh, many of them. It, I don't know if you know anything about West Michigan, but it's, a, it's sort of a, a community that's saturated with a lot of church. Yeah. There's a church on, on every corner. Kind of like the South. <laughs> yeah, it is like that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, do you think that? Um, do you think that that's a, like a direction that the church is kind of moving towards? Is people um, maybe becoming more open to things like that in terms of like an inclusive community? I think so. I mean, human beings are pretty creative, hmm. and they're also quite social. Yeah. So I really do think statistics. I have no agenda with this. But the statistics suggest that church as we know it is shrinking, Hmm. both mainline, definitely the Catholic Church. I just read a statistic this morning that locally the Catholic Church um, has in the last 10 years done half the number of baptisms and weddings. So that Hmm. tells you something significant. Um, And then all of the, you know, other Protestant denominations, they're all struggling Hmm. and um, but you know, people, like I said, people are creative and I imagine there will be unusual kinds of communities that will pop up in the wake of, of, uh, I don't know, the evolution that's happening. Yeah, for sure. And people can, can find you guys on Facebook, right? Yeah. Um, that's amazing. I mean, it, it's yeah. a very small community with a very tiny budget and yet you can access it for free online yeah it's just it's amazing not that i'm a you know big proponent of facebook it has its shadow side but it it is quite amazing it is yeah Yeah, i've tuned in i've tuned in a few times to watch some speakers it's pretty cool all right cool yeah so uh this is the the what if project and here we explore kind of questions like what if there are ways of understanding god and faith uh, the bible church spirituality that are different and the ways in which our traditions have handed us. And in particular for me um, and most of my listeners, it's our Western evangelical tradition. And so 
I've been dying to talk to you for, oh man, for a number of reasons, but one of them is being because like you, I used to pastor a church. Um, I did the whole pastor thing. I went to seminary, um, preached from the pulpit every week, led Bible studies, sat in on countless boring meetings. I was the kind of the answer guy for all the Bible theology questions. But, but then I walked away from that life and I know you kind of did the same thing. And so I was wondering, can you share with us a little bit about what led to that moment in your life where you left church leadership? And then once you were outside of that bubble, um, what did you discover about God? And, and I ask you that because in my faith tradition growing up, um, and a lot of our, our listeners, if you leave church or you drift away from church, that means that you leave God. Um, the two go hand in hand. And um, I think our experiences are a little bit different than that. So if you could talk a little bit about, around that, that would be awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, um, you're asking a good question. And you're kind of asking <laughs> a question that is like even the subtext of my book, yeah. meaning I wrote a book and I tried yep. to tell some of that story. And then there's the subtext of that. <laughs> yes. So I don't know. I mean, many things were converging. And I would say that uh, most of my life, all of my life, I had been connected professionally with the church. Mm. And I mean that maybe professionally and personally, like my dad was a pastor. I went to a Christian university. Mm. I, when I started dreaming of what do I want to do with my life, the dreams were around what could be done differently with the church. Mm. And so it was like a language, kind of like a, a tribal language that I knew really well. Mm. And, um, and then as my world started to expand, as we hope it does for everyone, <laughs> mm. yep. uh, and, that, and a lot of that started when I moved to Israel. So I discovered a new religion called Judaism. Mm. I mean, I'd heard of it, but I mean, right, I sure. just meant like it, it, uh, it cracked me open a bit. Yeah. And, and then also graduate school has a lot of freedoms to it. I was not working for the church at the time and you can say and think whatever you want in, mm. in the academic world. No one cares about your personal faith. Mm. So I found that pretty freeing. Um, and also a little bit scary too at the same time. Mm. And, but coming back to the States after Israel and trying to get, I worked for a Christian school um, and I, I was, I was trying to step back into it, but I realized my, I was in a different place, but it, mm. it took me several years to own up to that. And, um, and then when I was, had made it to the top of the evangelical game. I was, a, <laughs> I was a mega church pastor. I yeah. took Rob Bell's um, job, I guess. Mm. Yep. Um, and then, then the, it ratcheted up the existential angst. And mm. there, I really liked Marcel. I, I was there from the beginning. I did the music and Rob did the, the teaching at the very beginning. So I knew everybody. It, it, I, I knew the leadership. I knew, I saw behind the curtain. I didn't have illusions about it being some super awesome place. I, mm. I was familiar with its, its, uh, the underbelly, the yeah. underbelly. Thank you. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, the sort of a deeper call started to emerge on my life, which mm. only at the time seemed like you have to leave this to go any further. 
And I didn't know what any, what that meant. All I knew was I was going, I was stuck Mm. and I was getting paid a lot and I had a lot of freedoms, but I couldn't, I was stuck. And my dad was also dying too. And so it was like, that was a real, sounds strange, but in a way it was a gift because Mm. it was like, look, own up to your life. You know, face this shit right now yeah. and, and try to sort, um, try not to skim along the surface and which is what I was kind of doing. Like I, who can I please here and kind of do my job well enough and I'll keep all my private, um, existential angst to myself. It just didn't work. It's like wearing a have, mask. Yeah. 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 Well, that's what persona means. It's mask. Mm. And, and, um, so I had a big public persona and, I just had to, um, in a sense, really leave to go any further. <laughs> mm. And that's as much of, of the call as I sensed at the time. Hmm. Was that a scary call to answer? Oh, totally. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I, I didn't have a backup plan. I don't know if you know, do you know Peter Rollins? Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> about three years, two years, two or three years before I left Marcel. He's like, you're going to leave or something like that. (laughs) And and I was like, no, I'm not. Um, He's like, but you better come up with a backup plan. Mm. And, and I didn't take him seriously. Mm. And I, I, all of a sudden he like popped back into my head when I more or less suddenly said, I'm done. Mm. Um, But yeah, so that made it scary. I didn't have a backup plan and um, you know, I'm, I'm married, I have kids and, and my phone r- did stop ringing. You know, mm. it was it was sort of overnight. The the pipeline of possibilities shut down, and that's not everybody's story. Some people like leave, you know, positions where they have some degree of visibility, and you know, two or three opportunities pop up. I didn't have anything like that. Yeah, I was I was helping create a community garden, and getting paid in cash and (laughs) (laughs) um, trying to make ends meet. Thankfully, I should mention this at the beginning. I also lead Israel trips Hmm. and I kind of said, I better do some, I'd better do quite a number of them Hmm. to, to try to pay some bills. And thankfully most of them worked out. um, And that's kind of how I survived for a while. Hmm. What did it look like for, um, like you and your wife in the midst of all of that, was it a hard thing for you and your marriage? Were you guys both on the same page? Well, um, that's difficult because, um, some part of my life, my, meaning my marriage, I don't like to talk to publicly about hmm. without, you know, consulting my wife. Sure. Sure. That's actually one of, one of the problems with being a pastor is that, I'm not saying you're expecting this, but you're yeah, no. expecting yeah, yeah. to, you know, you know, tell us what your vacation was like and you know, what you, what you guys talk about at dinner, you know, and, yeah. and I never really played that game. Yeah. Um, but I guess I can say that um, she saw that this was coming kind of before I did and mm. wasn't really pushing me mm. um, sort of said something like, well, if, uh, I, I, I was in such a, a vulnerable place, I suppose. If she would have said quit, I would have quit. But she mm. just didn't say anything and let yeah. me figure it out on my own. But in that sense, she was supportive of mm. in whatever it is that you need to do, do. Mm. Um, 
and and it's going to cause some suffering and yeah. it did oftentimes the better half has that interesting perspective yeah yeah sure. i felt felt that was the way with my wife too because she we were both kind of going through stuff at the same time and um you know she said to me she's like i just you know i see you i see the church leadership life and she said, i just don't see the two going hand in hand for much much longer so she mm-hmm. definitely had some insight to that as well um one of the parts of your book that really struck me is this um, theme that you kind of wove throughout. Um, early on, you talk about the passage in the Bible where uh, Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. And you kind of use that illustration throughout your book to um, speak to the need for us to strip away some of this um, baggage that our traditions and our theologies and our churches um, kind of put on us so that we can truly enter to an experience with God. And just to give our uh, listeners some, some context, I want to read a quote from your book. Uh, you say that we tend to think that faith is about loading up the camel for the long haul, but it's just the opposite. All of our certainties about God and truth have turned us into the rich man in Jesus' story. To cross the border, though, to pass through the gate, a lot of stuff needs to be unloaded. For me, my beliefs about original sin, the afterlife, the Bible, end time, salvation, knowledge of God, um, and an extra special spiritual life all had to come off the back of the camel. As Jesus says, it's the only path to the kingdom. We all must be laid bare. Um, That paragraph, I highlighted it in like three different colors. It just gives me um, so many goosebumps because all my life, like my faith tradition told me that in order to endure to the end um, of this life and remain faithful, I had to stock up on memorizing more Bible verses, having a more solid theology, going to church more, praying more, having more faith. And I don't want to speak for you, but for me, this need to have more is almost like this um, this sacred cow that very few people will ever question. And so this idea of like stripping things away onto the path of the kingdom, onto the path of having a deeper knowledge and understanding of God really strikes me as important. So I was hoping that maybe you could tell us more about what those words from Jesus might be getting at and maybe share with us one or two of the more significant bags that you, you had to unload. Yeah. Uh, thanks for reading that quote. Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while. Um, if I, if somebody reads from my book, then I, I sort of, I ask myself, is that true? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or do I still think that? Right. And in this sense, I think, yeah, that still, uh, seems true to me. Hmm. Um, and actually, maybe that would be my definition of faith, mm. because I think um, beliefs, as and you know, in the evangelical world, beliefs are are definitely the sacred cow. You have to have the right beliefs, and you yeah. have to get more of them. And and even when you think you have all ten, there are then you know twenty five more right. um, that are that you <laughs> that you should acquire. <laughs> um, but you know, when you come to the end of beliefs mm. as a workable system, then I would call that the beginning of a faith mm. journey. And I, and I think about faith as, as moving into the unknown mm. that, I mean, that's, uh, it just, in a way, it seems obvious to me that, that faith can't be anything but mm. taking steps forward into the train that you know nothing about. I mean, that's mm. the Abraham story. Go to a land. I will show you. He doesn't not told anything about it, you know? Um, so the sort of the larger story of, of a faith journey seems to require this, uh, the suspension or the disillusionment or the dissolving of your beliefs. If you're mm-hmm. going to discover 
um, some something unknown. Um, yeah, and for me, I mean, I'm still, uh, even my images of God, I mean, you asked what, what uh, bags had to be unloaded, I suppose. Yeah. You know, if I could be real general, the images that I were, was carrying for about God are the things that had to go. Mm. Um, and that was partially beliefs and, um, and I don't know, images and beliefs. I, I suppose we could parse that out, but, um, you know, some of it was the man in the clouds, but, mm. um, I had more nuanced, uh, images of God sure. by the time I really felt like I had to leave. And even that I had to sit down and say, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what we mean by God anymore. And that seems like the beginning of something, not the, not the end. Hmm. Um, and, and I'm not, I wouldn't put this on other people, but um, for, for me at least, I had to say, I, I am uh, willing to not take anything with me. Hmm. <laughs> Meaning some people negotiate and I did a fair amount of negotiation, like, Hey, I'll go on this journey, but I don't, I'm going to take my Jesus with me or I'm hmm. going to take, or I'm going to take God with me. For me, it was like, no, um, I'm going to really more deeply wander. At least the way that's the way it felt at Mm. the time. And I don't need any kind of assurance that on the other side of this, um, it'll be put back together in some Mm. way. Hmm. Um, You said that faith is, I like that, is about moving into the unknown. Um, Why do you think that, like I know, again, in my tradition, like faith was all about knowing. Um, faith was all about having the right answers. Faith was about not asking questions. And so why do you think that, that that shift has occurred where faith for many people is no longer about moving into the unknown, but is more about moving into the known? <laughs> because that's what institutions do. Hmm. They, they institutions, um, and, and this is not even a, to, to knock them, it's just their nature, hmm. consolidate around what they think is the known world. Yeah. Meaning just this, in the same way, your ego is who you think you are, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole underground labyrinth that you know nothing about. Mm. And so all institutions can do is say, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's these five things, and I'm going to repeat myself to death. And in a way, they, it serves a purpose because um, it is a consolidation of experience. Mm. Like if you think about, hey, people have come to believe in God. Um, so you're, you're sort of you're consolidating past experiences around a few things and saying definitely God exists because our ancestors say exist and I'm going to believe this and so forth and so on. Mm. Um, but it, it, in a way it's just the ego remaining firmly in charge and, mm. and trying to expel fear, anxiety, and doubt at all costs. Mm. But that that's for the first half of life. That's, that's it's, I don't even mean this in a mean way, but that's, um, a kind of adolescent uh, faith story, so mm. to speak. Um, and actually, I didn't even mean that to speak negatively about adolescence, but <laughs> um, I just mean it's an immature sure. expression. If it's going to grow up, um, it's going to have to collapse. And interestingly enough, as you probably know, the mystics in sort of the the understream of Christianity have always said things like that. They've mm. always talked about of moving from 
knowing to unknowing, Hmm. (laughs) Um, from certainty to uncertainty as the deeper story of faith. But we just sort of forgot that Hmm. and started bowing down at the altar of, of our supposed beliefs. But I don't see how anybody can take this seriously anymore because, you know, depth psychology has been a thing for a hundred years now. And any psychologist will tell you what you say you believe doesn't tell me really anything about who you are. So I don't see in the 21st century, we can keep propping this thing up about um, what we, what comes out of our mouth as beliefs is sort of the thing that we can be certain of. It's just Hmm. not true. Yeah. Now, Jewish tradition, now you can correct me if I'm wrong, because you obviously know a lot more about this than I do, but Jewish, Jewish tradition, from what I understand, um, really finds God in the dialogue, right? Like in the, in the questioning, in the wrestling with the text. And so I'm wondering, like, your time that you spent in Israel um, studying uh, Jewish tradition, studying, um, you know, the um, history and the culture of the Bible, did that kind of understanding kind of give you fuel on this journey? Did it help you um, kind of engage the wrestling all the more and engage totally. the questioning? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, even, and where did they get this idea? Well, Abraham bargains with God over mm. Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, yeah. well, how about 15 people? How about five people? You know, and they go back <laughs> and forth. Um, and mm. so the idea that in Judaism, you would argue, debate, um, challenge, disagree with God mm. is fair game. Now it's done with a fair amount of humility. Mm. Um, and that, that just, that just really opened me up. And, and I thought oh, that, that seems true. Um, I don't know if you've ever, ever read any Elie Wiesel, he, the author of Night, Holocaust Survivor. No, I um, haven't. So he, he has a play where the uh, rabbis put God on trial, on Talmudic trial for mm. the Holocaust, and they find God guilty. Mm. Now, only a Jew can write something like that. Sure. And one deeply entrenched in this I guess in this kind of spirituality Mm. where um, doubt, uncertainty, even anger and shaking your fist at God is perfectly allowed. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe I wouldn't have even had the courage to challenge my own faith tradition and um, even take some life risks had I not, had I not Mm. been exposed exposed to Judaism that, you know, in a simple way is okay with unresolved questions. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you respond to people who maybe the bags that you've unloaded in your life and the bags that you've taken off, like how do you respond to people who might try to put those bags back onto your camel? Maybe it doesn't happen. I don't know if it happens as much to you now as maybe it did earlier in your journey, but I ask that because I know like a lot of my listeners are at a place where they're trying to rethink through some of their own traditions and they're trying to let off some of these bags, but you know, family, friends, church people who mean well, um, kind of in a sense, uh, maybe even unmeaningly shame them and make them feel like they're drifting away. So do you have any like encouragement for somebody who's in that phase of their, of their journey? Um, I don't know if encouragement is the right word. Hmm. Um, because Rilke has a poem and he says, now you must go out into your heart as onto a vast plain Mm. and there the immense loneliness begins. Mm. And I know what he's talking about and that's what it's like. Mm. And, or Mary Oliver 
um, one day you finally knew what you had to do and you began, though the voices around you started shouting their bad advice. Hmm. So when you take the enormous risks, even that might seem small on the outside, but enormous risks in sort of breaking with the worldview that you held or your family or your church community or whatever, it comes with loneliness. Hmm. It does. And actually it's a sign that you're on the right track, not on the wrong track. Hmm. And when people start shouting their bad advice, that's what happens because in, in a sense, it really has nothing to do with you. When hmm. you say something like, I don't, I don't buy this anymore. And people start going nuts. Hmm. It has nothing to do with you. All you're doing is poking the, um, you're poking the, the elements that are being repressed in other people. In other words, mm. someone who says, I don't have any doubts, how dare you have doubts, is the person who has doubts. Mm. So as soon as you say, well, I have doubts and I'm, I'm acknowledging them and I'm, I'm now in a space of uncertainty, then of course the bad advice is going to be, you're going to hell and you should repair these things. Or here's a pamphlet, or if you thought about it this way, here's a way to repair your faith, all this kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, so it really says usually much more about the other person, but um, I don't know there. Sometimes I think that I guess this is closer to advice that in, in a season of wandering, which is an archetype, hmm like take Jesus going out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, a couple things are going to happen. You're going to face your own demons. Hmm. That's the devil coming and talking to you. And, and the other thing is that solitude has many gifts. Hmm. And I don't think Jesus needed to explain to people ahead of time, Hey guys, this is why I'm going to go out into the wilderness. And I want you to understand things that he didn't send notes back to his disciples, <laughs> you know, or, or tell his mom and dad. So, I don't know. I mean, in a, in a way, I'm saying that if you can bear it, hmm. the disappointment and the shame, um, and not try to convince everybody they need to go into the their, the same exact journey, then I think you discover a bit a bit of the gifts that can only experience be experienced in solitude hmm. and in a bit of loneliness. And you're not totally alone. That's the um, you know, if you look at the Jesus story very carefully, it says the spirit led Jesus out in the wilderness to be tempted. Well, that's a very interesting thing. So you're telling me the mysterious wind of God is an active agent in Jesus's own loneliness and temptation. Okay. Um, well, that's a, a, that's an odd story, but that's kind of what it's like. Hmm. It's a kind of strange comfort, um, that can happen in these periods of wandering and, in a way, you don't need to explain yourself. <laughs> mm. um, if that, am I making sense? Yeah, and I think too, once you once you get out into that wilderness, you find that there's a lot of other people out there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I've found is that that you know initially it just felt extremely lonely, but then as I started to talk more about things and voice more of my questions, people would come out and say, "Oh, I've thought about that too." Like, "Oh, totally. I'm thinking about that too." And before you know it, you have this almost like a new tribe of people who are asking the same questions, exploring the same things and um, trying to grow closer to God in their own, in their own way, which I think is really cool. So that's awesome. Hey, well, we're just about um, out of time. And so uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, I know we had some audio issues in the beginning that we got worked out, but uh, 
thank you so much for uh, dropping by. This was really cool. But before you go, can you maybe just share any place where people can go online to find you other than our, your C3 place on Facebook? Yeah, I mean, I have a website, kentdobson.com. Okay. And you can find my podcast on there, um, my Israel trips, when, when I have them up. They're, mm-hmm. they're posted there, other retreats and programs and things I'm up to. Most of that you can find on my website. So that's probably the easiest way. Awesome. I'll drop that link in the show notes. And uh, thanks so much for dropping by. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ken. Bye-bye. Bye. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed up fancy. Wish I on a pot on go with the rainbow. Man, that was so good, wasn't it? I thought that was such a helpful uh, conversation. And you definitely, you have to go pick up Kent's book. I think it's even on like, I think it's like an audio book as well. So you can go listen to it. You can go read it. Whatever it is you got to do to consume this book, um, do it. It is so helpful. But I love this idea that, you know, faith isn't about beliefs. And once you put the whole belief system and having the right beliefs and believing the right things and all this stuff aside, that's when faith really begins to take off. And a lot of people would say, uh, you know, Christianity is not about beliefs, but it is. Uh, For me, I mean, growing up in the church and in Bible college and in seminary, it was all about your beliefs. I mean, there's some wiggle room with some things, you know, to maybe believe things a little bit differently, but there are some major pillars and some major doctrines that you're not allowed to question, right? That you have to be certain about. And I love this, uh, almost this sense of freedom that Kent gives us and gives his readers, uh, gave our listeners today, that uh, faith isn't so much about having all of the right answers, uh, but faith is about embracing the questions and faith is about the exploration and faith is about kind of stripping those things away to the bare bones. And it's hard to describe it, I think, like unless you've experienced it. Um, For me, like if someone would have said this stuff to me five years ago, I would have been like, you are nuts, right? Like you are crazy. But now in my life, having begun this process of questioning some things and rethinking some things, restructuring, rebuilding, whatever you want to call it, um, I think he's right. I think that faith really begins to take off when we embrace the uncertainty of it all. So anyway, uh, I hope that this was encouraging to you. I hope it was inspiring. Um, I hope that it I hope that it challenged you and pushed you forward a little bit in your own spiritual journey. Uh, but again, this is episode number 49, and uh, it was our conversation with Kent Dobson. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.